and we are going to be starting today just a handful of weeks looking at the issue of worry as we uh, have announced, and I might get you some notes for these handful of weeks, but you don't have any today, so you just have to, you just have to listen to me. So I know some of you are sitting out there saying, did I miss my notes when I came in? No, you didn't. I just don't love you enough to prepare the notes for you for, for today's session. But we'll be looking at that and starting that in just a moment. Let me uh, remind you of some things that are coming up. Tonight at 6 o'clock is our annual adult uh, Christmas fellowship. It is for adults. We don't offer child care for that, so you'll need to make arrangements for it. And uh, I don't remember A through L, what you're supposed to bring, or M through Z. But depending on your last name, uh, there's uh, some food items that we ask you to bring for that. But I encourage you to come. It, uh, you don't have to register. You just need to show up. And uh, I, I, I'm told we're buying some, getting some subs, I think, as well. Are we getting subs? Yeah, uh, two. But we'll have a good time with the skits and uh, uh, games and things that we, that we play. So tonight, 6 o'clock for that. After we're finished in this hour, uh, men, if you can help us set up the tables and chairs for that. Uh, we, so we have yet another event for which we need to do that, but we're able to knock it out literally within five t- to ten minutes when we get our guys to stick around. You guys have been very helpful with that, so thank you. That's tonight at six. Next Sunday would be is the third Sunday of the month. Normally, the third Sunday of the month is our home groups, our community groups, but those are not meeting because that's just one week away from Christmas, so we're not having them on the 19th. Uh, we will have them, though, on January the 2nd, day after the first Sunday of January, we will uh, re- resume our community groups. Uh, in two weeks, on the 26th, Sunday the 26th, we, the day after Christmas, we will have just one service, a worship service. It'll be a Christmas theme. It'll start at 10.30, so not 9.30, 10.30, and we won't have Sunday school and second hour that day. Same thing the following week, Sunday the 2nd, January 2nd, one service, no Sunday school, 10.30. So two weeks in a row we'll have the 10.30. That means those two weeks we won't be doing this worship series. So we'll do that today, we'll do it next week, we'll have the two weeks off, and then we have a few weeks in January where we'll continue the worship series. And at the very last Sunday of January, January the 30th, uh, we'll start a new series. And that new series will be on resolving conflict. Last week I said we would start it the week prior on January 23rd. Uh, I was told by the folks who maintain the calendar, that's not a good idea, I should do it the following week. So we'll start it the following week, okay? So January 30th will be the Resolving Conflict uh, series. I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, a couple Sundays ago, that Kim and I uh, were leaving immediately after uh, this second hour because to celebrate her birthday, we were going to the Cleveland area and we were going to go to a piano concert and we were going to stay overnight. Remember I told you guys that? So we made it. We made it... uh, 10 minutes before the concert started at 3 o'clock, so at 2.50, we were in our seats. It was bad weather getting over there, but it was a good concert. Kim found a bed and breakfast uh, she had reserved weeks earlier for us to stay in, and so that was, that was a delight. But Kim always puts the itinerary together for all these little one-night, two-night trips that we do, and she does such a good job with it, I don't even ask her what it is we're doing. And so I knew we were going to the concert, but that was really it. Monday, I didn't know what we were doing. So Monday morning, I get up, I say, what are we doing? And she says, uh, we're in the Cleveland area, we're going to Canton, Ohio, and we're going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now guys, you should have married a wife like that, okay? (laughs) It's her birthday, and she decides we're going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 
And we, we had a great time. And Kim kind of likes football. I mean, not that much, but a little bit. And she likes history. And as you go through the Hall of Fame, you're able to read about the history of the NFL and all that sort of stuff. So she and we enjoyed it. But we were there for about four hours. But I took some pictures while I was there, and I sent them to some friends. And I say, Kim wanted to go to the Pro... And they go, don't give me that. Kim wanted to go to the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I am saying publicly here before you guys and the Lord that it was Kim's idea for us to go to that, and, and that's what we did. All right, today we start our uh, five weeks on the issue of, of worry. And I want to talk about it because, as I mentioned at the end of last week, I'm worried about you. <laughs> so I want to talk about worry because I'm worried, and I'm worried about how much you're worrying. Because I'm hearing, I'm hearing and have been for the last few years, I've just been hearing a lot of worry. I just hear people just say to me in casual conversations what they're worried about. They're just worried about what's going on in the world and, and what's going to happen, and they're fearful about what's, what's happening. And I, and I come away from those conversations, and, I, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned as a friend. I'm concerned as, as your pastor because the Bible has stuff to say about worry. In particular, don't do it. <laughs> so if we have people doing it, and then doing it in seemingly in increasing quantities, then I want to delve into that. I want to know what's going on with that, and then try to help with that as best we can from, from God's Word. So I, in the last few years, that anecdotally, that's been my experience. I'm hearing more of it. And anxiety, worry, anxiety, is a, it's a big deal today. Uh, when I was a kid, I never heard, I had never heard of a panic attack. I don't, I don't know when that came into the vernacular, but I had never heard of that. But now you, you hear about it a lot. And I have, I have very close people who, and, and very good people, so this is not judgmental what I'm saying here. I'm just making these observations about the fact that worry and anxiety appear to be increasing. Now, I'll say some things in a bit that will challenge whether or not they're increasing. Uh, when I was a kid, I never heard panic attack, but I, I would hear my parents talk about someone having a, a nervous breakdown. You don't hear that as much anymore, but I used to hear that. And as a kid, I would wonder what that meant, what happened, that someone had some kind of break with reality, something that happened, and they just broke down, and they weren't able to function as they normally had. I remember my mom and my aunts sometimes talking about taking what they called nerve pills. They called them nerve pills. And I remember that. But that was the terminology. It was nervous breakdown. We're taking nerve, we're taking nerve pills at the time. And whether there was, there's more of this actually happening now than was happening then is difficult to quantify. My guess is there probably is more going on now because we have more to, we have more to worry about if we're inclined to do that. We've got more to worry about. Now, now, why do I say that? Well, we're more affluent than we've ever been. Did you know that? more affluent than ever. But you kind of wouldn't know it the way people talk. 
I mean, the economy is just, you know, gonna, it's going to collapse tomorrow or next week or next year. You know, and maybe it will. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Here's the thing, neither are you. <laughs> so don't try to figure it out, okay? But I can tell you what's going on today. As of today, we're better off than we have ever been. We were better off last year, so I'm not attributing that to, to a new administration. The last administration had us better off than we've ever been. But the news you get doesn't necessarily tell you that. Doesn't, make, doesn't necessarily make you feel that way. You feel like it's getting worse and worse. Now, part of what's happening is we're still, every generation to this point for a century has been better off than the previous one. That's still true. The current generation is better off economically than the last one. Now, here's part, I think, what creates the concern. They're not as well off by as much. In other words, the rate of increase has decreased. And so that's concerning people. But boy, that's a third world problem, isn't it? To say, boy, we're still better off every generation, but we are not as, as far better off as those guys made advances in the last generation. Well, okay, if that's what you want to focus on, then you're going you're to be worried. You know, with the fact that we are more affluent than we've ever been means that we now have to deal with all that goes with that. Some of you remember the Tigers pitcher uh, in the 70s, Mark Fidrich, Mark the Bird Fidrich. So I think I have this right. I, would have, I should have Googled this to make sure, but I think I have this right. 1976, when he had this phenomenal rookie season, and he went 19-9, and nine. he started the season 10-1. and one. He was the starting pitcher for the American League All-Star Game that year. But I got all that right. The part I'm not sure about, but I think I'm, I'm right. The minimum salary for a Major League Baseball player in 1976 was $16,000. They hadn't gone into full-blown free agency and all of that yet. And that guy got paid $16,000. Now, he had that phenomenal year, signed a contract for something like $250,000 for the next few years. You'll remember he hurt his arm, and he only had that one really good, that one really good season. But he was... He was a very likable guy because he was kind of happy-go-lucky, and he, you know, he signed this contract, and then he hurt his arm, and then his career's over within like five years. And I saw an interview with him, and he was asked, you know, what do you, what do you think about all that? And he was still happy-go-lucky. And he said, you know, with every dollar you get, there's a problem that goes with it. That's what he said. So he just took the attitude that, you know, dollars don't define me. Money doesn't define me. My ident he, he was a guy who was putting his security in his identity, a la our last series, which I'll be alluding to uh, if we get to it today, and doing so rightly. But most people don't do that. Now, part of the reason we don't do that, and therefore I think part of the reason that there is more worry, anxiety today than in the past is because we have more exposure to more issues than we've ever had. You've got more exposure to more information than you've ever had, ever, ever in the history of the world. 
people have not had at their fingertips the information that we can get and gets flashed at us all the time. So you've got your smartphone, your smartphone's flashing stuff at you. You got your laptop, your laptop's flashing stuff at you. You got the radio, that's flat. You got cable TV, that's flat. And when I say flashing, I mean flashing, right? Pop-ups, it flashes so that there's clickbait, so it catches your attention, so that you go into it. And, and ad revenues are made by having you do that. So we got to flash and pop and, yes, scare you in order to get you to click so that the ad revenue, every click is money. That's how money is made on the, on the web. So the increase in exposure to information now gives you this quantity of stuff to worry about. That's why I said, yeah, it probably is worse today because there's more stuff to worry about. Because you're exposed to more stuff. Further, the more you observe, the more observant you are, the more things you've got to worry about. So all of us have more information. All of us. Observant, whether you're an oblivious or you're observant. We all have the information. But some of us are more observant than others. I actually, I'm observant in certain contexts, but for the most part, overall, I'm really not terribly observant. Kim will say to me, did you see? And I go, what? No, I didn't see. She's observing. She sees all kinds of detail. Which then, if you, now what that means though, she sees all the details, she sees all the stuff, that means there's more for her to be concerned about because she sees more things than I do. And I, I have her permission to mention this, um, but Arlene is her mother's daughter in that regard. She's like me in certain respects, but she's like Kim in that respect. Laney sees everything. Laney catches everything. When she was little, she caught everything. She's just wired that way. Her little sister, Annie, saw it. Laney knows everything. She sees everything. Kim's with them at the zoo. Well, we're, we're all together. We were there at, I think, at Calder's Dairy Farm, and they had some turkeys there. And Kim's always trying to point the girls to the Lord, and she says, so... Uh, to Annie, who made the turkey? And Annie goes, Laney did. <laughs> Laney did. But from a little girl, Laney, before she could talk, she's looking around. She's observing everything. She sees everything. It meant, one, she didn't sleep. Because she's always looking around, always observing, and she feels like she's missing something if she goes to sleep. So that was a couple of years of difficulty. But it went further as she, as she grew, always observing what was going on. And the more she observed, the, she's a smart girl. And so she's picking things up. She hears things. And she's absorbing those things. And she, she, and she recognizes what can go wrong with all of those things. So that manifests itself in a number of ways. One of them is kind of humorous. We were just joking about it the other day, my wife and I. When the girls were little, my day off is still Monday. Uh, it was Monday then. She was homeschooling the girls. So on Mondays, we could go and do things that 
the other, other kids are in school and families are at work and Mondays were really cool days for us because we could go to places and we had it to ourselves if the place was open. You know, some places are not open on Monday, but if you find places open on Monday, you got it to yourself. And so some of the times we would go to these uh, indoor playground things, you know, that they have. So there's Caesar land back in the, in the day. And so we would have that all to ourselves. There was one up at Great Lakes Crossing called Jeepers Creepers. It was like a, and they had a little, uh, they had a little um, roller coaster in there. And the girls get on the roller coaster and they're the only ones on it. And a guy operates it and it goes and it does its thing for you know, about three or four minutes. And then it stops and they go, we want to go again. So the guy hits the button again, and then he go again. And it goes about the fifth time. This is a true story. And I'm just there, you know, I'm just drinking a coffee, and they're going around. And, and then about the fifth time, the guy who's operating the thing says, no, you can't go anymore. Now, we had an all-day pass, by the way. We had to, so. And they were like, oh, they're, and then I, I go, oh, they can't go anymore? There's a, there's a limit? He goes, no, I'm not doing it anymore. I go, what? And he says, what if they're, they're going to get sick? And if they, if they go and they get dizzy and they get sick and they throw up, who's going to clean that up? He's asking me this. And I go, you? <laughs> he goes, no, I'm not doing it. Girls have to get off. I go, this is just a side story for you. But I, did, I go, I, had to, I talked to the manager. I said, hey, are we supposed to, is there a limit? He's ticked. I think the guy got fired. The girls got back on the roller coaster, though, and... Let's keep going. Whenever we were at those things, whether there, Caesarland, wherever, and they had the crawly, you know, things, and the nets and the bridge that you can go across, Kim would be, and I would be sitting together, but we never took our eyes off Lainey. And here's why. Because Lainey would rarely take her eyes off us. Because she's out there and she's away from us just for that, but she would always look back. And we would wave. And then she would go. And then she'd go a little further, and then she'd look back. That was what she did. That's this observation. Somebody who observes things and therefore knows, and if they're observant and smart, they understand that a lot of things can go wrong here. Lainey was like that. Another story about how that worked with her. So the girls are maybe nine and set, 10 and seven at this point. And I talked Kim into letting me take them to one of our church's softball games. Did you know we used to have a softball team? Years ago, for a couple of years, we had a softball team. And I was talked into having a softball team. Now, the reason I had to be talked into it is because I had played on these softball teams. I had played on Christian softball teams where you could just remove the word Christian. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's so competitive and all of that. But, you know, our guys wanted to have the softball team, and I said, look, if we're going to have this thing, then we're going to act like Christians when we play softball. Okay, you're not Jim Rome, the, the guy on, you're not softball guy. You're not the guy who could have made it to the pros if, you know, you've gotten a couple of good breaks, and now you're living that fantasy out in your church softball league, and we're all competitive, and we're all going to, okay, that's what you get a lot of times. And I said, we're not doing that. If we want to have fun, we want it to be an outreach, okay. Yeah, pastor, that's what we're going to do. So we only had it for two years. You know why? Because that broke down. Anyway, I'm going to one of our games to watch it, 
and I take the girls. Kim lets me do this. She's always worried when I take the girls because I might get distracted. So I start talking to some of our church folks at the game. And, you know, the girls are playing with some other kids. And I get wrapped up in this conversation. And maybe 20 minutes later, I'm thinking, hey, did I bring the girls with me? <laughs> so where are, the, where are the girls? And I can't, I can't find them. I can't find the girls. And now I'm, I'm just really concerned. I'm not concerned about the girls. I'm concerned about the girls telling Kim that I couldn't find them. That's what I'm concerned about, okay? So here's what turns out to be the case. Our girl, Annie, the younger one, and some other kids from church decide to go down by the creek near this field, and they go running down along the bank of this creek. So that's where my seven-year-old is, and I'm oblivious. I'm not watching her. But Lainey is. And Lainey goes after her, goes following her, and Lainey's yelling for her, and she's trying to chase her down, and she's just, she's just so worked up, the poor little thing. She's so worried about her. And finally she gets her, and Annie's all, they, when they come back, they're muddy, and Lainey's muddy on her shoes, and she comes back, and Lainey, for maybe the only time in her life, she was just so ticked at me, <laughs> angry at me, and she says to me, you're supposed to be watching her. <laughs> and I go, you're right, sweetie. I was supposed to be watching her. Thank you for watching her. And she goes, I didn't have any fun at all today. That's what she said. And the poor little thing's all muddy. And Annie's muddy, but Annie's thrilled that she's muddy. And we had to go home, and Kim said, how'd you guys get so muddy? And I said, you know, we had to help a woman push her car. <laughs> so that just stays between us, all right? So Lane, all right, goes on. Laney starts school. We were homeschooling. She starts school in seventh grade, conventional school. When we take her to school, she is so worried when she goes into class that every day she throws up. Every day. I take her to school. And when we're getting out of the car, I have to help Lainey go into her class that she went into late for at three months at the beginning of the school year, every day. Because we had to get through this. Three months, every day of school, throwing up. And as we went through that, I'm talking to her at the car, and I'm praying with her, and I'm trying to encourage her, and, you know, and so on. Three months worth. Meanwhile, at home, Kim and I are trying to teach her principles like we're going to go through here. And she got over it, thank, thank God. I say she got over it. She improved with it immensely. And she started going to school, and she just you know, would run into school and over time, but it took a very long time. When she graduated uh, high school, six years later, she gave a speech in front of the auditorium. And she had no trouble getting up in front of all those people doing that. And she gets up in front of people now. But that's all God's grace, getting her from where she was to where she is. And to this day, now she's married and she's got home responsibilities, and she's trying to juggle all those, and we all know how that, we can remember that. And so she's trying to process that, and she's still got that very active and observant approach, 
And so it's still a struggle, but not like it was. But still, still a struggle. Thank God, improved. I tell you all that with her permission because we observed in our daughter that part of what made her so susceptible to worry and anxiety was how observant she was. So if you are an especially observant person, you are more susceptible than those of us who are just happy-go-lucky, and we just kind of, that's more me. That's, Kim's more susceptible to it because she's very observant. Lainey's the same way. So s those of you that really struggle with this, I want you to consider that part of the reason that you really struggle with it is because you are wired differently than some of the rest of us. So as I go through this, you're going to see that, yes, there are some things you're doing wrong in terms of how you process those observations, what you do with them, but I don't want that to lead you to more anxiety because then you say, oh, I'm just a big fat sack of sin. What a loser I am because that'll make it even worse for you. No, you're, you are made by God uniquely. Lainey is made by God uniquely. Kim is made by God. Annie and I are, we're all different. And therefore, we all struggle in different ways. So if you are that kind of profile, then you are going to have issues with that that a person like me does not. That's what I'm saying. Stress has become a part of daily life. We worry about our jobs, about our relationships, about our families, and everything in between. There's no lack of remedies for anxiety. No solution, though, seems to offer true peace for so many people. And so with so much going on in our lives, is it even possible to live worry-free? Well, God has given us His guidebook for life, and in Scripture, God does have the cure for our, our cares, and we want to see what that is. Anxiety, fear, worry, stress, these have become familiar words in our day and familiar experiences. Some extreme displays of anxiety are becoming frighteningly common in our society. They're usually related now, hear this, to an unfounded fear so overwhelming and so overpowering that it clutches a person's heart, forces the heart to beat faster, produces chills or perspiration, and makes the person to feel completely unable to cope with the moment. That's describing something like a panic attack. But notice the word here. They're usually related to an unfounded fear. It's the unfounded peace that we have to deal with. That happens. People get in these, in these situations. Here's a, here's a woman who wrote about her experience in an article called, I Was a Prisoner of Panic Attacks. She said, while interviewing with my prospective employer, something terrifying happened. The windowless room where the interview took place closed in around me. The air became thin. My throat tightened, and the rushing in my head became deafening. All I could think was, I've got to get out. My mind and heart raced for what seemed an eternity as I feigned composure. Somehow, I made it through the meeting without giving my interviewer a clue that I had been seconds from fleeing his office or passing out on the spot. I endured a rush of flight-or-fight instinct one usually experiences in life-threatening situations. That's how she describes what she went. She made it through it, but that was what was going through her mind. But here's the, the reality. She says, this is the kind of thing you normally go through in a life-threatening situation, 
But here's the unfounded part. She wasn't in a life-threatening situation. And yet, that had been processed in her mind such that it came out in that situation. So anxiety at its core is an inappropriate response in light of the circumstances. So note those words, unfounded, inappropriate response. We react to something in a way that's not matched the reality of what's happening. It's unfounded. I'm reacting to something like it's life-threatening that's not life-threatening. So that's why it's called unfounded. And then the response in turn is an inappropriate one then to this particular situation. Now, let me deal with this issue, and that is, what's the difference between uh, legitimate concerns that we all have in life and then worry, anxiety that becomes prob problematic? So what I'm talking about here and what we want to try to address in the next few weeks is very different from the cares and concerns in life that cause people to attend to business in a responsible way. Stress and pressure, instead of being things to avoid, strengthen us to accomplish the challenges and that God puts in our life. The Apostle Paul wrote that apart from the unrelenting external pressures that he had to face, such as persecution, hardship, and imprisonment, he also had daily upon him the internal pressure of what he called the concern of all the churches. And that word concern is the same word for worry in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, do not worry. And here's Paul saying, I'm worried about you know, all the stuff that's going on with that. I'm concerned about what's happening with all these churches that I've helped plant and, and mentored. In spite of that, he had room in his heart to feel anxiety, the, the anxiety of others. Because he went on to write, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly, inwardly burn? But Paul wouldn't have had it any other, other way. In fact, that kind of response to pressure is what Paul looked for in those who would serve with him. He commended his son in the faith, Timothy, to the Philippian church saying, I have no one else like him who will show genuine, and here's the word again, concern for your welfare. He's worried about you. He's concerned about you. And that's, you know, I was joking with the play on words when I said, we're going to talk about worry. I'm worried because you're because you're worried. But that's precisely what they were, they were doing. So we want to see, though, what's the difference there? What's the difference between this legitimate thing that Paul and Timothy are doing and then this illegitimate, inappropriate, unfounded thing that so many of us, of us do? So what's the difference between legitimate concern and illegitimate worry? Legitimate concern, illegitimate worry. The difference, how do, how do you know if you're doing one or the other? I'll give you, give you two things. You're engaging in legitimate concern if it gives you motivation to perform your responsibilities. You're engaging in legitimate concern if it motivates you to carry out your responsibilities. Conversely, you're engaging in illegitimate worry if you lose your motivation to carry out those responsibilities. And that's many times what you hear from people who are caught 
in this. I can't get out of bed. I can't do, I can't do my stuff. I don't want to do my stuff. I'm not motivated to do my, to do my stuff. So it's legitimate concern if it motivates you to carry out your God-given responsibilities. That's what Paul and Timothy are doing. That's a good thing. That's what you need to do at work. You need to be concerned about, hey, if we don't get these orders filled, what's going to happen? You know, if I don't get my work done, what's going to happen? If, if, I, if I work in a medical environment, if I don't carry out my responsibilities, what's going to happen to these patients? You know, so that's legitimate concern that motivates me to carry out my God-given responsibilities, but you're engaging in illegitimate worry if it demotivates you from doing those very same God-given responsibilities. So that's one. And then the second difference is concern motivates positively. Legitimate concern motivates you positively. Illegitimate worry immobilizes you with dread, immobilizes. Legitimate concern motivates you positively. Illegitimate worry immobilizes you with with dread. Now, dread of what? All the stuff you're hearing, what might happen, your personality might be one of these really observational types that sees more than the rest of us do, the scope of the things that you're immobilized by because you're concerned about what might happen can be unlimited depending on who you are and how much you observe and, frankly, how smart you are. So anyone who knows and loves the Lord, though, here's the good news. You're capable of handling pressure in the right way. The wrong way to handle the stresses of life is to to worry about them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, three times, do not worry. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious about nothing. We allow our daily concerns to turn into worry and therefore to turn into sin when our thoughts become focused on changing the future instead of doing our best to handle our present. So you look down the road at what's going to happen, and I have to somehow account for that. Well, guess what? You can't do that. What Paul did, what we need to do, what God tells us to do, he worries about, he concerns himself with the future. We concern ourselves with our present circumstances. Those kinds of thoughts are unproductive. They end up controlling us, though it should be the other way around. We should control our thoughts, but our thoughts end up controlling us, and they cause us to neglect other responsibilities and relationships. So, this is what I find with lots of people who struggle with this, that they are often worried about what might happen. That's that future, what might happen, that future piece. Well, what are the possibilities, guys and gals, with what might happen? I mean, what's the, let's quantify, quantify how many things might happen. That's unlimited, isn't it? So if your mind then is focused on what might happen, that means that you now have an unlimited supply of stuff to be worried about. Add to it if you're one of the personality types that's very observant and you're very smart and you're getting stuff thrown at you and then you put the, now I'm going to try to control the future and I've got an unlimited supply of stuff that 
I need to worry about, we think. So they end up controlling us. And so we neglect other things that God tells us in the present to do. And that brings on, now here's the cycle, brings on legitimate feelings of guilt. And if we don't deal with those feelings in a productive manner by getting back on track with our duties in life, then we're going to lose hope instead of finding answers. When those kinds of things are left unresolved, anxiety can debilitate your mind and your body, lead to panic attacks. Now, notice what I said there, if left unresolved. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to focus on events when we should focus on process. I'll explain. We tend to focus on events when we should focus on process. Now, here's, here's what I mean. I'll give you some examples from other realms besides worrying. Did you know that nobody just, nobody ever just engages in the event of adultery? That that event just doesn't just happen. Did you all know that? I mean, I just want everybody here to know that. That if you ever commit adultery, don't come to me and say it just happened. Because I'm not buying. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'm so committed to this principle that I was in the living room of a couple where the husband had been told by a friend that this friend saw his wife at a gathering kissing another man. And the guy went and confronted his wife, and his wife said, yeah, I did that. This was a, a flame from high school, and I... Well, this guy was just beside himself, and he called me. And I go over to the house. And I've got these two people there, and they're explaining the... She's explaining the situation, and we were at this thing, and, you know, we were in this hallway, and then he... And, she's, and I'm going, I'm just thinking to myself, that doesn't just happen. I'm convinced that does not just happen. I'm thinking all this to myself. And so I say, in their living room, like I'm a prophet, like I actually know, I don't. <laughs> but I say with great authority, there's more to this. And she freaks out. Because guess what? And she thinks I know more than I know. I don't. I'm just going, that doesn't just happen in isolation. Now, there's more to this. And then she confesses right there. And it was horrible. It was horrible. But it was another, yet another confirmation. We tend to focus on events when, in fact, we should focus on process. That stuff doesn't just happen. A lot of people look at King David and his adultery with Bathsheba. And, you know, David just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's just minding his own business, and he sees this naked woman taking a shower, and, you know, what could he do? I mean, that's what... She's bathing on the... And it's her fault anyway. Why is she bathing out there in the open where a guy, you know, can, can see her? I mean, that's, I've heard this kind of stuff. David set this whole thing up. Process. It didn't just happen. Adultery does not just happen. You've had many episodes where you've thought about, you've thought about someone else. You've allowed your mind to go in a direction it should not go. 
Murder does not just happen. You know, we sometimes say, man, somebody just went off. That kid in that school just went off. No, that kid in that school did not just go off. What that kid in that school did was he or she took every slight that they've considered a slight over a long period of time and they've internalized that and they've built up this hatred so that, and then what do you see the pattern of? The doodling, I can't wait to take care of these people and finally I plan it and I go and do it. You know, when uh, I was in college at first, before the Lord called me to be a pastor, I thought, you know, I, I want to be, be an attorney. That was what I was first going for. And then I realized, you know, in order to, there's a zillion attorneys out there. I, I learned this. I was told this. And if you're really going to make it as an attorney, you've got to get into a top law school. And the chances of me getting into a top law school. So I ditched that and I went into the computer field. And then later the Lord called me into to ministry. But as I was thinking about the, the attorney thing, the legal career, there were a couple of things that I would like to have gotten into. And one of those would be to challenge the insanity defense. The idea that people just snap. Because I'm convinced snapping doesn't just happen. You know, you're not just walking along one day and all of a sudden you just snap and then you just start shooting people. There's a process. There's, there's, there's the event, but there's what precedes the event. We need, to, we need to think about those. When we think about then our inappropriate concern that becomes worry. If you don't deal with the process, that's when the event happens. So the reason some of us then are in the position where we are, where we we have this, and especially if you have this on a regular basis, it's because on a regular basis, you're not dealing with the process. You're not processing the stuff that's being coming, at, coming at you, the fact that you're a more observant person than most, maybe higher intelligence than most, and so you can think quicker about all the things that can go wrong. You know, all kinds of things are happening to you that aren't necessarily happening to me. You have to process those, though, in a biblical manner. And if you don't process them, now they'll become an event. So I encourage us in so many areas of life, focus much less on the event and focus on the process. Now, last thing, because I only got two minutes left. But what if you're somebody who's already now, I'm in the event, okay, fine. Thanks for that, Pastor. Thanks for encouraging me. <laughs> I'm having these events and these episodes and these struggles because over time I haven't been processing things the way I should. All right, let's say I believe you. <laughs> then what, what, do I, what do I do about it? And of course, that's what we want to talk about now. But if you're in it, to get out of it, that's a process also. Just like it was a process to get there, it's a process to get out. So it wasn't a magic bullet. It wasn't just a thing that happened that got you into the condition that you're, you're in, the, the approach that you're taking toward dealing with the things that come at you. That didn't happen overnight. Getting out of it won't happen overnight. However, God does give you the principles and the process for getting out of it. And so that's what we want to see together, okay? 
So there's legitimate concern, but there's illegitimate worry. And what we're going to be talking about here is the illegitimate worry that demotivates us and immobilizes us. And we'll see what God says about that. We're going to pray, but let me remind you that as soon as I'm done praying, then ladies, if you will leave, then so the guys can do their thing in here. And is it tables and chairs? Is that what we're doing? And, and then Pastor Larry is immediately going to come up and give the guys instructions about what we need to do, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for today, the Lord's Day, the opportunity to learn of you um, in both hours. And uh, Lord, I pray that we, each of us, myself included, will take the principles that we've gleaned from your word and seek to put those into practice even this afternoon, certainly this week. Help us, Lord, to represent you well as your ambassadors. Grant us safety, we ask. Bring us back together next Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pete. Guys, if you can stack the chairs...